0: It's very difficult to keep the line between the past and the present.
2: Do you believe that someone out of the past can enter and take possession of a living
1: being? We may be through with the past, but the past is not through with us!
2: Welcome back to The Next Picture Show, a Movie of the Week podcast devoted to a classic film and the way it shaped our thoughts in a recent release. I'm Scott Tobias, here again with...
1: Genevieve Kosky.
2: And Keith Ups. Tasha Robinson is off somewhere hating on Wally Brando, but she'll be back soon. (laughs) On the first half of this episode, we looked at Babe, Chris Noonan, and George Miller's sweet storybook fantasy about a runty pig who makes himself useful as a sheepdog. Now we turn to the new Netflix original film, Oakja from Bong Joon-ho, the gifted Korean director of The Host and Snowpiercer. In stark contrast to Babe, Okja is gigantic a hippo-sized super pig that's been genetically designed by a giant corporation to serve as a delicious source of jerky and other pork products. Okja is the most spectacular of the 26 super pigs raised in various locations around the world, and the head of the company, played by Tilda Swinton, wants to take it from the Korean mountains where it was raised to New York City. But Mija, the 14-year-old girl who's been Okja's closest companion all these years, has other ideas. She goes on an adventure to bring Okja back home, which brings her up against Swinton and her minions as well as a radical environmental group led by Paul Dano that wants to make an audacious point about animal abuse. Okja resembles the host in many respects. Both are films about supernatural creatures born of American disregard for nature. But the film is its own strange animal, combining fantasy, corporate satire, and a surprising number of F-bombs. We'll talk about Okja and how it relates to Babe after the break.
1: sent the 26 super piglets to the 26 countries where the mirando offices are located each one was given to an esteemed local farmer i have asked each farmer to raise their special guest honoring traditional techniques unique to their respective cultures my top scientists in the mirando branch offices will be on hand to offer whatever support is required These little piggies will be the ancestors of a whole new species.
0: Mama Nature's gift. A revolution in the livestock industry. And now we have a competition!
2: So Okja, what an odd movie. Uh, (laughs) uh, What did you all think of it, Uh, Genevieve?
1: Odd is a good word for it. I was really looking forward to Okja, and maybe I got my expectations a little too high because I enjoyed it. But I ran into the problem that I've run into with Bong's previous films that I've seen: Snowpiercer and The Host, which is that like the tone is just kind of a hard nut to crack. Mm-hmm. And I want to like it. I want to like like the tonal mix, but it kind of prevents me from emotionally engaging with the film to the extent that I would like to. And I think that was less of a problem for me with both Snowpiercer and The Host because I think that those films are doing something that is less reliant on an emotional connection. Mm -hmm. But I think that the satirical point that Okja is revolving around is one that is really couched in emotion and your emotional connection to this animal and the girl who loves that animal and the kind of whiplashing tonal style of the film, I think kind of prevented me from feeling that emotion to the extent I probably needed to, to, to love this movie.
2: Uh, what about you, Keith?
0: I was into it. I, I think it helped to have seen Bong films in the past. In some ways, this is most approachable film. And certainly, I think it's probably the film that will be seen by the most number of people, but probably but, uh, already, uh, but it already, it kind of feels like an advanced study for, 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 for Bong. Yeah. But no, i I've really enjoyed it. And, I don't know that the tone was, and the tone never felt all over the place. It just felt complex to me. I, mm. I felt like we started with it from a fairly dark place. Um, so we, yes, we start I'm, from a
1: very slapstick place, I think, with the Tilda Swinton's character, like kind of. Yeah, introducing the whole concept. of yeah, twenty six super pigs. Right, but I
0: think I think there's sinister undertones there from, well, the, sure. from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, um, and I think we get those the wonderful scenes of Mija and Oksha uh, bonding, and which you know gets you into this relationship, and then it kind of returns to darker places, mm-hmm. or, or returns to places that were perhaps the darkness wasn't quite as evident uh, before. It worked for me. It is an odd mix of elements and performance styles uh, which I'm sure we'll get into mm-hmm. but I was there for the right and I actually I found it quite affecting by the end uh, the slaughterhouse scenes and the denouement uh, were such a lovely contrast and, and, and I'm sure we'll get into this as well but I, I thought the super pig creations were really uh, masterfully made and emotionally moving in large part because they're so animal-like. These are super pigs in the sense that they are genetically engineered, as you say, hippo-sized pigs, but they behave very much like real animals.
1: Yeah,
2: except that Okja does cry. Once. Okja does cry. though. Okay, tone, tone is obviously the big thing here, and, and and this gets me into the entire history of Bong Joon-ho's films, which I just wrote about for the New York Times' watching section, because five of his six films are available streaming right now for free. Which Met- one's not? The best one, Uh, Memories Memories of Murder. Murder. That's a Um, a good one. But I mean, Memories of Murder is a perfect example. I mean, Memories of Murder is a very dark film about Korea's first serial killer, but it's also a lowbrow slapstick comedy. And those Mm -hmm. two elements exist side by side. And if you think about something like The Host... You know, there's a scene in the host where a family is grieving over uh, a loved one who's been lost, and it starts with almost this this sort of tragic, sad tone, and then ends with them sort of wriggling on the floor comically. And that's that is um, not just exclusive to Bong; that is the Korean touch to to allow this tone to just completely lurch back and forth, and for uh, for you to just roll with it you know and that's not to excuse okja uh, okja's flaws or or, or claim it as a perfect film which i would not i would not in in the bong filmography i would not put it near the top at at all uh, for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned genevieve but i find that there's been kind of an interesting almost kurosawa like attempt on bong's part to reconcile his national cinema at least new korean cinema with hollywood um Mm. and with the spielbergian touch oftentimes i mean that that, if you're talking about like one major american influence on Bong, it would be spielberg Mm. you know so you you have this a director who very much appreciates effects driven family oriented to an extent fantastical you know filmmaking with a lot of nice reaction shots of people's eyes and extraordinary daylight special effects i mean all that is there in this movie so i just I, i i think i mean it is not a perfect film is it is a rambling shambling ride of a a movie even more so than his other films for me but i i kind of appreciated that quality about it and and kind of liked that sense of what the hell is going to happen next it's a very surprising movie and i I, for that i really appreciated it
1: yeah again i I don't want to overstate my my issues with this film which i did generally enjoy nor do i want to understate my understanding of south korean cinema and the paradigm within that he is working within The mix of tonal styles is definitely a feature, not a bug. Mm -hmm. I just don't know that it's like a feature that I wanted in this particular story. I really loved it in The Host and Mm -hmm. kind of in Snowpiercer. But here it just, it it didn't work for me more than it did work for me.
2: I could see that for sure. And and it's more disorienting than Snowpiercer tonally for for me. And certainly Mother. Mother's actually pretty, I mean, I guess as straightforward a film as he's made uh and a really wonderful movie if you haven't seen that one
0: but yeah but it's it's odd too It does. it it, it
2: is and it's that one is about a mother whose sort of special needs son is accused of murder and who kind of goes out of her way to exonerate him of this crime and 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 that movie certainly goes to some uh dark and discomforting places but i just i really like just being in the space of a bong production just be just because of the they're so unpredictable. You know, and anything can happen and he's he's very accomplished technically too, given the the resources that he's been given here, which are significant but modest compared to Hollywood, but significant. what is it, fifty million, sixty million in this production?
0: Yeah, I, w- I would say so. I mean it's the point of things with like that chase scene. I mean the chase scene is yeah. is really uh, the centerpiece of the film, but it, it is well, I mean obviously it's it's going to be storyboarding and choreographed, but but it looks like, you know a super pig cutting loose in, in an yeah. underground mall, and and it's and it's an amazing. There, there, to watch.
1: There's a studied sloppiness to it. Yeah, you, you know, like just the way that the camera moves and like yeah. how you. You sort of see certain things, but sort of miss ours. And there's just like wonderful little touches woven throughout it. Like I love the girl taking a selfie video of mm-hmm, being yeah. chased by this super pig and like just the expression on her face, the way it fluctuates between terror and posing for the camera. Like it's a, it's such a, a wonderful, just a little grace note in a, a sequence that's full of those.
2: Yeah, and you could think of like a touch like that being so similar to like, Spielberg shooting the approach of the dinosaur through that, you know, objects in mirror maybe sure, closer yeah. than they, they appear. So, you know, he's he's definitely a good student and and really my favorite moment in the whole movie and maybe my favorite moment in any movie I've seen this year is at the end of this scene where suddenly this John Denver song mm-hmm. uh, kicks in. It's Annie song. Is that the name of it? Yes. It's, oh, my God. It's so it's so beautiful it's so touching and again weird and unexpected at the same time and and you get this great close-up on uh paul dano's face you know this animal has been injured and like in this frantic moment he is really focused on that and, and is affected by it in a very sincere way i thought that was great it's just something nobody else would really thing to do it is it's fun that it's out there for people to watch for, for free i guess if they have netflix
0: this is really the first time i felt myself thinking well i can't wait until it's on netflix so i can watch it First time I really felt like a real anticipation for something that was going to premiere on Netflix. At the same time, there really wasn't a moment when I didn't wish I was watching this on the big screen. I know it's mm-hmm. playing on thirty five mm at, at the New Beverly in, in Los Angeles, and it's screening some places. But you know, film we film. live in Chicago, and there's no way to mm-hmm. see this on the big screen. It's a movie that that I always feel like you should see on the big screen is, is kind of a cliche. I mean, I have certainly have had very powerful movie experiences watching movies at home, but you know, given the choice, I'd always like to see things on the big screen, and we don't have it with this one.
2: We do not. We do not. You know, um, new, new
0: film from a major director, and, and, and it's not really playing theaters. Yeah.
1: But as you pointed out, it's probably going to be seen by more people than any of that director's other films. So is yeah,
2: that, I know. Is yeah, that a, may, a, a, a
1: worthy trade-off?
2: You know, maybe if you're uh, some kid in Des Moines, is Des Moines my always go to example? Yeah. Uh, and and uh, don't have access to these types. Of films, maybe you're struck by how strange it is, and uh, inspires you to see more films by him, and uh, which are available, and yeah. um, other stuff you haven't seen before. I'm just
0: trying to play devil's advocate. No, I'm all, no, no you're know, right. Me, I mean, you know I'm me, always, you know me. I'm, like, I'm always a fan of anything that democratizes really great pieces of filmmaking, or or anything. I mean, for all the pros and cons of of Borders and Barnes and Noble, like you could you could walk into. Uh, the middle of a small town, and oh, let's say Des Moines, oh, we're not, or or smaller towns that had a Borders, and you could pick up a copy of uh, Ulysses if you wanted to. You Davenport, know, and, say yeah, Davenport, da- Davenport, Iowa. Iowa. Blockbuster, the same thing, and maybe not the best selection, but you know you you can certainly get started down a road of watching interesting movies uh, at a blockbuster
2: like at cedar rapids for example sure cedar rapids yeah um so <laughs> i was a very cultured state so I should stop <laughs> i know i i, I just I, I don't know why i was always my go-to example of people who let's let's, see let's say a
0: suburb of dayton ohio a hick suburb of dayton ohio what's the name of
2: that uh, Inglewood? In- uh, inglewood where right. keith is born um grew is that, up, right? i
0: grew up i mean that's Part of my story. But this, this isn't my podcast. <laughs> this isn't your podcast. So
2: let, let me make one more argument in Netflix's favor here. There are two really big productions recently. Uh, this film and War Machine, which is less successful than Okja. Mm-hmm. But similarly, unclassifiable. Not quite a satire. You know. Not quite a historical document. It doesn't really work completely well. But it is the sort of thing that you can't put it in a box that Hollywood would never go out of its way to finance for that for that reason um and
1: make a misleading trailer about to get people in the theater <laughs> what, well,
0: like, what if you made a horror movie that wasn't really quite a horror movie <laughs> and had a, an odd ending that to leave people unsatisfied I mean, they might that might fit on netflix uh, as well.
2: but if you're running a, a conventional hollywood studio are you really going to accept Okja as it is with, because this is a film that is would appear to be for children and it is about the relationship between a girl and her super pig.
0: It's really not, though. I mean... I mean no, I, it doesn't
2: turn into that, but I think you could, it could be sold as that, right? Sure, sure. Um, and it has elements of that um, before things kind of go haywire, but then it's got all sorts of F-bombs and and, it, and uh, disturbing slaughterhouse sequences. Mm-hmm, uh, and it takes you to those places and so I, I'm, you know, as flawed as it might be, and as really flawed as War, War Machine is, I am grateful that there seems to exist this s- studio this strange little streaming studio that that is willing to bankroll pr- productions that, that don't really fit anywhere else so
0: for all my protestations it's it's probably the future <laughs> <laughs> now there's so, a poll quote and for i think <laughs> i think everyone's going to be very happy when the next martin scorsese movie comes out on netflix no first. no
2: no okay well, not, you've gone too far okay <laughs> You've gone too far.
0: Not to get too far afield, but I mean, how many Scorsese movies would fall into that same category of, of difficult-to-classify financial risks? Uh. What if you made a movie about priests
1: in Japan? Yeah, yeah I was yeah. actually just going to say, what know. if Silence had been a, a Netflix exclusive and yeah, people would- had seen it? Would have had been a less wonderful film for it you. It would have
2: been really depressing. I saw that movie twice in a the theater. I I can't. Yeah, this is all this is all too much for me to handle <laughs> right now. I can I thought, can...
0: thought experiments are, to, are fun until know,
2: they start to uh I know. And wasn't <laughs> it I'm wasn't scary. Scorsese's like late, next film supposed to be oh, yeah. or is it Netflix or yeah, is it, yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Geez. Okay, I'll, I'll get used to it. I have got months <laughs> to get used to it. But let's go back to the actual film Okja. Where does everyone stand? If you talk about, you know, there there are a lot of performances competing for our attention. I was waiting for this in this in this uh, movie. There's Tilda Swinton. There is uh, well, there's Jake Gyllenhaal. Yes. Hall. Where, where are we at on on Jake Gyllenhaal's performance in this
0: movie? Oh, <sighs> that was fun. I mean, I thought it was it was kind of Jake Gyllenhaal doing Jack Hanna cross with Gene S- Shalit, cross with Richard Simmons, and it's a big, broad, silly performance. But when it got to the Darker, uh, sort of, you know, more sadistic side of that character, I, I, it, it followed logically for me.
1: This is an unspeakable place. I know, I know. There are worse rooms out there. Lucy Miranda says I'm not supposed to harm you in here. Well, at least not visibly. She wants you perfect
0: for her big telecast.
1: But... When a woman humiliates a man in front of his own colleagues, a man is inclined to make his own decisions. Uh I think uh, less uh, so. It's for a divisive performance. Yeah, it, it, it is. And it's not, I didn't hate it. It's not a performance I hated. It's a very showy performance, obviously. And it, it's a performance that aligns with the character. But I think ultimately kind of detracts from that character's arc, which I think is I I think that the Jake Gyllenhaal character and the Paul Dano character are sort of mirrors of each other Mm -hmm. and their performances really reflect that Uh mirrors reflect. You get it. Yeah, I do. Um, Paul Dano's performance is so sincere, I think, is the the word you used Mm -hmm. to describe that character. And it is not flashy in the way that Gyllenhaal's performance is. But I mean, those characters are both animal lovers who have gone astray in some way or another. Obviously, Gyllenhaal's character to a much grosser extreme, and Mm -hmm. it's kind of ruined him as a person. But I mean, the arc of that character is that he is a a naturalist of some sort who has ended up in bed with corporate farming interests, and it has eaten him up inside and turned him into kind of a, a monster and i i really like that character arc and i think that jillian hull's performance while expressing that character arc ultimately kind of detracts from the impact of it. it it kind of it just goes back to my issues with the tone of this movie mm-hmm. that i think while I respect the oddness of it, I think it ultimately takes away from a lot of my emotional connection to the characters and the story.
2: Well, and I think if you want, I mean, I, I'm a fan of it too, because again, I, I'm fine with the the film kind of jerking you me around a little bit. But in contrast, Paul Dano in that whole element of the film is interesting because it is an agenda that is a sincere agenda and people who are committed to animal rights and and committed to exposing animal abuse, but who wind up having an agenda that is not Misha's agenda and not, Mm -hmm. not an agenda that's about returning things to their natural state or, this, or their unnatural natural state, I guess since this is a genetically enhanced creature, um, they defy her her wishes in order to pursue their own a, a agenda, which makes them you know, share a little bit more in common with Tilda Swinton and her uh, gang than you might think.
0: I think also for all the Utre touches that most people in maybe bring to their performances, um, the, the actress playing Mija on Theo and Okja herself are, are so grounded and, and they kind of give it a still center in a, in a way and that, that grounds some of the madness going on around them.
1: Yeah, I mean, grounding it is one way to look at it. Being overshadowed by it is is another. And uh, I think that's just yeah, your mileage, maybe everything. But I mean, like those scenes of Mija and Okja are my favorites, you know, mm-hmm. and, and they do have that resonance that I feel is missing from a lot of the other aspects of this film I I slightly resent the fact that when I think of Okja, the first image that springs to mind is Jake Gyllenhaal screaming in a funny voice and not that beautiful connection between Okja and, and Misha.
2: I did sort of, or Tilda int-
1: the Swinton with a, fu- yeah. a funny haircut, you know. E- either of those, I, I did
0: <laughs> two
2: funny haircuts. I did yeah. anticipate, <laughs> you know, the movie being a, a different movie than it ended up happening, just from those the, that early sequence with Misha and Oakja running around and and uh, being free, and then so you know, beautiful. I mean, you could you could picture this different movie that's just about them and the father and the, and and nothing else. It's ha- like a studio ha- Ghibli movie happens right. A studio <laughs> a Studio Ghibli movie where they go on. Uh, Little adventures and uh, and uh, you know and there's something great about too about another little favorite moment in the movie is when the father is is asked you know what they did to make this super pig so incredible and and his philosophy was we just let it run around. (laughs) (laughs) I love love that. I mean, what just a tribute to just a very natural way of doing things, though. Even though, again, this is not a natural creature by by any stretch you know it celebrates that uh way of life and much the way that babe does um so perhaps maybe now's the time to go to connections uh so we'll be right back for that after the break
1: You look amazing. <laughs> oh Johnny, if you're skating on thin ice, watch out you don't fall in and drown. Don't worry, I'm not here to put you to sleep with some corporate speech like my boring sister might have. Spree on that in that underground mall and so, so let's all welcome an extraordinary little girl, a local farmer who raised her beloved super pig in wild and beautiful nature. The fearless
0: pig rider from across the globe. Please welcome Nietzsche!
2: Now it's time for connections when we bring these two films together and talk about the things they have in common, Babe and Okja. One thing we could start with, I guess, is how both films reveal how we engage with animals and promote certain, maybe, vegetarianism or a a consciousness about how we eat.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Okja in particular is much more strident in its messaging around the the consumption of meat. Babe Mm -hmm. definitely touches on it, but is... A little more in the camp of like this is the how things work, you know, and it, we should be respectful of it. But it's the way the things work. Whereas Okja is really engaging not so much, I think, with eating meat entirely, but particularly with factory farming mm-hmm. and the eating meat is what sustains this harmful system of factory farming. What I really like about Babe's approach, in particular, is the acknowledgement that like. How you engage with an animal is all about the context. It's not about that specific animal or animals generally. You can have animals as pets. You can have animals as working animals. You can eat animals. And there's no universality of like, this is what animals are for. And this is how we should treat them. It's like we treat them based on the context in which we are engaging with these animals.
0: Yeah, Yeah, I thought Babe would create a whole generation of vegetarians. <laughs> and it kind of, I think it probably has had that influence in some in some quarters. Well,
1: you, you were just saying during the break that it, it made Cromwell a, a vegetarian, yeah, right?
0: Yeah, it was bring in some extra textuals. Cromwell did become a vegetarian after making Babe because he felt like he couldn't honestly represent the film without becoming a vegetarian. And you listen to the audio commentary, and Miller is a little more where you're coming from, Genevieve, which is basically, you know, you could eat animals, but you need to be aware and respectful of what it is. And I don't sure where Oak is coming from. I think you know the, the Animal Liberation Front or ALF. It seems very much on their side. They're not a perfect vessel for the message. They make mistakes and they're, and they're deceptive. But there is that long post-credit sequence, kind of like setting it up for for the further adventures of the Animal Liberation Front, and it, and it seemed pretty on their side at the very least against factory farming and as you say the, the situation that it creates and, and for all the horrors we witness in the slaughterhouse here there really are just literally what happens in a slaughterhouse on a bigger scale and it's kind of hard not to think about that watching this film it didn't make me give up eating meat, which I I was a vegetarian for a long period, and I'm not a vegetarian now, and it might be someday. But this wasn't movie didn't push me over the top. It certainly got me thinking about that again.
2: I can't necessarily fault Okja for being strident because I think it is, you know, a satire among other mm-hmm. things, and it has in satires. They do have a certain point that they're trying to to make, and it's a it's a nuanced point because I don't think. You come to the conclusion watching the film that we mustn't eat meat, though I think we can be aware not just of the way animals are processed, but the way food, period, is processed. You know, and in, in, in terms of babe, we can see that contrast between an ordinary farm uh, or what would be ordinary if, if the animals weren't <laughs> talking to each other and behaving in weird ways. But but really, I mean, animals
1: uh, talking probably don't eat it. Right. Just, just good rule of thumb there. <laughs> yeah, right. So
2: uh, I mean' they, what, what, crying. Yeah. You know, you could see them doing things, uh, you know, the hoggets are doing things the right way, um, in a responsible way, and, and in a very old-fashioned way. I mean, when you think about farms now, they're not the same. I mean, the, the, you know, the, you have companies that own vast swaths of land or, or you know, harvest fish or, or, or pigs or what have you in, in large facilities specifically to develop them into food that is going to appear in your uh, grocery store. And so to be a little more conscious of that, uh, that I was happy with that message and, and kind of pleased in this context uh, with the contrast between you know, Okja and Babe about f- how we get our food.
1: Here's my thing. There's like a lot of arguments you can make against eating meat generally and factory farming in particular. There are a lot of approaches you can take to that argument, but I think they kind of divide into the emotional approach and the sort of logical approach. Like you can make it a, a very convincing argument against eating meat based entirely on climate change and the effect that eating meat has on our planet. And that can also be very convincing. But the tack OVCHA chooses to take is the emotional one, which is that, isn't it terrible that we eat animals and how animals are treated? Mm -hmm. And isn't that sad? Isn't that upsetting? And that is a very effective argument to make. And depending on the person, it is the only argument to make. But going back to what i was saying earlier in this episode about like missing that emotional connection with Okja i think that is sort of the fatal flaw in the argument or the satire that Okja is making is that it is trading on this emotional connection to how animals are treated and their whatever the animal equivalent of humanity is <laughs> but the For me, anyway, the tone of the film doesn't really support that.
0: Even the baby super pig at the end?
1: I mean, they're all very cute. It's also not real. Going back to what we were saying about CGI, you know, but like it it all goes back to what I was saying about just the context with which we engage in animals. Like we're sitting here with my dog, Hugo, who I love and treat like a child. He is my pet in a different context. If he was a working dog and I was depending on him for my livelihood, like our relationship would be very different. Mm. If, if this was the apocalypse and I was starving and Hugo wasn't my longtime pet and we didn't live in a society where eating dogs is frowned upon, I might consider eating him. I'm, he, sorry. He, I'm sorry, Hugo. He, he, he'd eat you. <laughs> it's true. That, that too, you know? So like applying an emotional logic to just how we engage with animals universally, I think is fundamentally flawed. In that regard,
2: because
1: hmm. it's all about the context, man.
2: Yeah, that's a. That's a that's
1: I love my do dog. Mean. I'm not going to eat my dog. Yeah. I,
2: was, I <laughs> want to focus more on uh, on Genevieve <laughs> eating <know>. her dog. <laughs> it just went to a, such a dark place so fast. I a know. very, bo- very bong like uh, uh, of <laughs> you know. to, to uh, go off on that uh, monologue. But it's a, it's a really good point. I mean, a lot of this, a lot of this discussion, this compare and contrast between Babe and Okja is more about the contrast than the compare. I think you could see. That babe had an influence on Oak John, and I think maybe babe picked the city even more so, but a lot of it was just as a jumping off point to do to go somewhere else and somewhere a little bit darker um but I want to talk about some other places where the two films contrast, and that that would be the you know the the time period and the setting Jennifer, mm-hmm. uh, you have some thoughts on that?
1: yeah, I suggest this comparison because I think it's interesting how both films kind of exist in a fantasy slash storybook uh setting but they do it through very different approaches where as we talked about in the first half babe is kind of in like situated out of time and out of place and exists in this sort of like generalized storybook Mm -hmm. arena okja has a very specific time and a very specific place like it starts in 2007 and then the main action of the film is 10 years later in 2017 in New York City and Korea and other, are there points in between? I no. think New, for, Jersey. New Jersey. Yeah. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Okay. Like a place in time that is our own and so therefore we know that this is an imagined story it is a a fable in a way. And so I think it's interesting how both films have that same effect of creating a sort of storybook fable atmosphere but one does it through a highly specific time and place and one does it through a very vague time and place.
2: And then there's also the aspect where Babe is set entirely, almost entirely in one. Uh, location mm, that yeah. is that is a very carefully realized this little you know ecosystem and hamlet uh, o- would, that,
1: would that be a hamlet they, a, where they uh, live uh, i don't know i'm not
2: even <laughs> sure uh, a <laughs> hamlet might be too metropolitan
0: for for what yeah
2: <laughs> yeah a little yeah it's a little less populous but and then of course uh okja has got sprawl to it i mean you start in the korean mountains you're in seoul for a, a pretty spectacular chase scene then you go halfway across the world so um you you get a sense that perhaps uh bong and uh his co-writer on this john ronson decided to just take a babe-like fantasy concept and then just blow it up and and put it in the real world and 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 make it sprawling where the earlier film uh, is really set in the one place it's. I feel it's jarring in a good way to th- to throw this creature and, and this girl who's who's a fish out of water into a modern setting where they're off to the races and it's just it, it it's a shambling tonally wild movie. But uh, again, that's something I think is um, you know more to the positive than not.
1: Oh, and, and just another like little tangential connection related to something you just said. We talked briefly about Babe's relationship to modernity. Obviously, most of Okja takes place in modern industrialized world. But in the beginning, when it's Misha and Okja in their home, mm-hmm. you know, in in the woods, you know, they, they seem very removed from that world. But there are little touches of modernity that are in their life. Like when, when Mundo comes to the farm and she's like, retina display, you know, or, or, <laughs> you know and, and, they're, and they're watching TV and she knows who Jake Gyllenhaal's character is. Like she recognizes him, hmm. you know, like they are not completely isolated from the modern world. I, I just think that's an interesting touch that both films kind of have that little... Acknowledgement of modernity in the setting that is otherwise completely removed from our concept of the modern world.
0: Yeah, it does seem like the Korean equivalent of Hawkett's farm, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. The for place where sure. time has uh, not quite touched, but is still, as you say, you know, present, present. in some ways.
2: And, and maybe, you know, there's a sense that Mija is a little bit... You do, obviously, she doesn't want Okja to go away and pursues her friend to the far end of the world, but but she's different than her grandfather. She, I think she is a little more willing to embrace the modern than, than he is and a little bit more, but uh, maybe not to the extent that Tilda Swinton does.
0: It kind of sends kind of her running back, though. The, her taste of the outside world uh, puts her in retreat by the end of the movie.
2: Yeah, that, that is true. So one of the other things that these two films have in common is that they're a reconciliation of sort or a collaboration of sort between different cultures of uh, their international co-productions between Hollywood and, and Australia and one and Babe and then also Hollywood and Korea with Okja. I was curious about what you all might think that that signifies because I had talked about it a little bit before earlier about how Bong is very Kurosawa-like and having a an interest in both representing a very distinct national cinema, and finding ways to square that with an equally strong interest in in Hollywood. And Okja is a, I think a pretty significant step in that direction. Just because so many people are going to 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 see it, uh, I mean, the host was kind of the breakthrough. But um, the, it ha- this one has a lot in common with that. Babe, I'm not as sure about what the significance of that collaboration might be. You know, other than just Hollywood, perhaps bankrolling you know, a more homegrown production.
0: With Babe, I think it just kinda of contributes to the sense that this could be any time and any place and you know, I was you know, I, I think between this and Ellie Confidential, I don't think I really knew that James Cromwell was an American for a long time. <laughs> uh, because I just he could just he's sort of flexible and there's no Real, it's not like he's doing an Australian accent in this, but it's a little kind of an any place country accent in some yeah. ways. With Okja, the the culture clash is kind of hardwired into the film mm-hmm. in some ways, and I think that works in its favor. Uh, you can sometimes get. The international co-productions, you get things like scenes shot just for the Chinese market in Iron Man. And I think these films designed to, to peel across national boundaries are very much a part of a movie's future. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought it was, it was gracefully done in this. And I think as you, as you pointed out, it is part of Bong's mission or, or, or approach of, of melding Korean styles and, and and Hollywood styles. And you can't ask for someone better to put a bracing performance in the middle of the movie than 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 tell us what either uh you know she kind of translates across borders and and uh, some interesting ones Oh I know
2: she is the most I didn't even think about that. She is such an... I mean, she's been in like a Bella Tarr movie. Mm-hmm. Um, she's obviously in this thing. She's been in Hollywood movies like that. She's plays like, an Asian Michael, character. Oh, Michael Clayton. I want to bring it <laughs> Let's not open that camera. She's him. been with Jarmusch. She does. Uh, she is very much the definition of an international star. So I, I find it interesting that the difference between a harmonious um, mingling of cultures or like the you know how how we talked about babe being like not particularly specific to any area or region of the world, and then you know Okja being almost like a um globalist conflict writ large mm-hmm. um so so there may be something you know harmonious and exciting about the the mix of styles and the mix of cultures from a cinematic standpoint. But the film is also engaged in how there's so much misunderstanding and a difference in values between nations. That was the subject of the host as well, which starts with an American uh, pouring formaldehyde uh, down the sink and ends up in the Han River and creates this uh, genetically enhanced (laughs) sea creature. So um, I think Bong is as interested as he is in uh, American culture and Hollywood he's also aware of you know america's toxic influence um on the rest of the world so you can find Oakja and babe on netflix you can also find babe on blu-ray if you prefer to watch it that way as keith keith did right i did yeah Uh, it looks great on blu-ray so you can get that for the nice a nice price i think uh babe pig in the city is also on netflix
1: i get that last plug in (laughs) that's (laughs) right i have
2: to if you if you don't mind a little darkness in your family entertainment i implore you to check it out We'll be right back with our usual recommendation segment, Your Next Picture Show. Finally, it's time to catch each other up on films or film-related items we've seen in the interim since our last podcast. We call it Your Next Picture Show in the hopes that it'll put some interesting choices on your radar. Keith. What in the film world has been good for you lately?
0: I mean, I I hate to just be the person, like, here's the last Criterion I watched, but here's the last Criterion I watched. They, they put out very good Blu-rays, and that was uh, They Live By Night, uh, which was Nicholas Ray's uh, first mm-hmm. film based on the same novel that Robert Altman filmed many years later for the great movie Thieves Like Us. And this is, in some ways, a, a very different film than that. It's, it's definitely... Uh, more influenced by noir it's i'm not gonna 'm gonna say more conventional film but uh the, everything's more conventional than Altman's in some ways, but at the heart it 's still the same story of of two people who fall in love and are doomed by Criminality that they participate in, but also just sort of a system that's stacked against uh, the people. Uh, Farley Granger is it plays this uh, kid who's fallen into a life of crime. He's out of prison, gets right back into crime. Kathy O'Donnell uh, plays his love interest, who's the daughter of a gas station owner who kind of puts them up, uh, and they are the, sort of the first occasion of exacts an exorbitant fee from from the thieves for covering for them, and which leads to. The, the title of the, of the book he's, he's, they're thieves like us and it's sort of this world in which like a lot of noirs uh, the whole system is corrupt and, and goodness and love uh, is going to get snuffed out but it's it's sort of lovely while it lasts and, and, uh, it, and it ends with this you know wonderful tragic ending and, and it's beautifully shot you know it's in many ways a very different film from Rebel Without a Cause but it would pair nicely. Uh, if we were doing a, some sort of kind of podcast in which we pair movies <laughs> I would put them together because there is this sort of sense of, of young innocence and, and in a world that does not uh, want to sustain it. And, uh, yeah, so I highly recommend it. And some really nice uh, extra features on it, including a 2007 commentary that features a very uh, late-in-life Farley Granger. Yeah, I
2: really... It's like a massive whole... I've seen really all of the major... Nicholas Ray movies but not this one in which which everyone loves and which I'm, I just I know it's on it's on Filmstruck now or was on Filmstruck. Yeah, it should be.
0: Um so uh, I have no excuse. Now it's short too. I don't know what's wrong with it. And it's it's very much to your taste uh, as I understand it. Once again the movie is uh, they live by night uh, not to be confused with uh, they drive by night which is also a great movie I probably recommend <laughs> at some future date but uh they live by day- at night uh night Nicholas Ray's first film. Scott, how about you? Uh,
2: I want to recommend a film called The Rehearsal. This is a new film by Alison MacLean, uh, a Canadian-born New Zealand director who hasn't made a feature since nineteen ninety-nine's "Jesus' Son." Do you remember "Jesus' yeah, Son"? Yeah, it's really good. Billy Crudup, terrific. Yeah. Uh, it was a that was a
0: it's got a great scene in an abandoned drive-in that's uh, really stuck with me.
2: I know. I mean, it, it was a really tough bar to cross because it was an adaptation of a Dennis Johnson short story collection, and uh, it was acclaimed, but apparently it wasn't enough uh, to get McLean much more than occasional. TV work, um, but McLean returns to New Zealand for the rehearsal, uh, which follows a character named Stanley, who's a timid student entering his first year in drama school. And when Stanley and four, four of his fellow students are grouped together for uh, this big end of the year original performance, he draws a, on a public sex scandal involving his girlfriend's underage sister and her tennis instructor. Uh, The rehearsal is a film with a lot of insight into the vanity, ambition, and human weakness that goes into the craft of acting. Uh, But for me, it's especially notable for Carrie Fox's performance as an instructor-slash-administrator, which resembles, in many ways, J.K. Simmons' performance in Whiplash for its unsparing intensity. Uh, Fans of Jane Campion will remember Carrie Fox's Janet Frame in An Angel at My Table. Uh, She was also one of the main characters in uh, Danny Boyle's Shallow Grave. And here, her ferocious wit really just overwhelms the main character's extreme passivity and gives the film a spark whenever it needs one. Um, So it's called The Rehearsal. It's not... I wish it were... It's much stronger when it when it stays in the school and deal, deals with creative expression and, and all of the, you know, some moral issues that are raised. It's stronger there than it is outside of the school. But if you want to watch, see something that's like fame, but like realer, uh, this, would, this would be it, the rehearsal. Uh, Genevieve?
1: <laughs> all right well i've seen a lot of really good movies lately and i came prepared with like a bunch of options in case you guys overlapped with my recommendation and you didn't so now i'm left choosing between them so i think <laughs> do, I'm just, do them all I, yeah i think i'm just gonna do a quick, a quick drive-by of three movies that i really liked that you can and should watch uh the first of which probably be no surprise to anyone who knows this group but edgar wright's baby driver Yay, is in theaters baby driver. and it is wonderful i reviewed it for vox i loved it it's a amazing kind of mash-up of of crime picture car action sort of movie musical i've had a lot of debates about whether it actually constitutes a musical and after hearing myself debate about it uh for a long time i am on, of the mind that yes it does mm-hmm. it does constitute a musical um <laughs> but you're my little but um it's in theaters now it did really well and it's uh yeah. opening weekend it's probably going to be Wright's biggest hit so but that doesn't mean you shouldn't see it if you haven't already the second recommendation I have is for The Big Sick, uh, which is a new film from Michael Showalter written by a comedian who I have loved for a long time. You probably know him from Silicon Valley named Camille Nanjiani. He co-wrote it with uh, his wife, Emily Gordon, and it is a autobiographical story of their unusual romance uh, in the circumstances that led to them getting together and almost not staying together. And then, well, I won't spoil it, but they get, <laughs> they get together. They're married, guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's... If you like romantic comedies, and if you don't like romantic comedies, this is this is like the epitome of what a romantic comedy can be. And I think it's just like a complete validation of the form. The, like the emotion on this movie is just cranked to ten the entire time. You're either cracking up or sobbing. But it's such a wonderful combination and it it just translates to like pure emotion. That was probably one of just the most purely pleasurable film going experiences I've had in a long time. So highly, highly recommend the big sick. And then lastly, I want to recommend Logan Noir, which is a the black and white version of James Mangold's uh Logan which played uh briefly here in Chicago at the Music Box Theater but as i understand it is available on the blu-ray of Logan. I'm really kind of into this new trend of like doing black and white versions of modern blockbusters. I mean there was the Mad Max Fury Road like the was it the chrome edition, mm-hmm. you know, and and now there's the noir edition of of Logan. Um and i i missed Logan when it came through theaters the first time. So this is my first Exposure to it was seeing it in black and white. And at first, I was like, is this like the best way to see it? And I really think it is the best way to see Logan. And I say that having not seen it in its colorized version. But mm-hmm. it, it was really a, a great format in which to see the story for two reasons, I think. One, because it sort of served to separate it from the greater X Men universe, because it does star Hugh Jackman's Wolverine and Patrick Stewart's Professor X. And like, there is that connection to a long lineage of. X-Men films that I think by being black and white and also being like a hard R <laughs> movie uh, kind of serves to separate Logan from that lineage in a way that I thought was very beneficial to the movie. And also, it's a really bloody gory movie. And I kind of like my blood and gore in black and white. It's, <laughs> it's much easier to, <laughs> to disassociate from it that way. So both of those aspects kind of uh, contributed to me really really enjoying logan in black and white so if you have access to the blu-ray i would definitely recommend checking out the noir edition of logan in addition to the big sick and baby driver
0: It's a lot of movies it is
1: yeah it yeah, is
2: definitely I've, I've seen uh baby driver and can back you up and i you know I, whether you want to classify it as a musical or not it is certainly influenced by it and has yeah. a musicality to it that extends beyond the soundtrack. It really is incorporated in a much more sophisticated uh, way than... Um, it's that,
1: choreographed to music. It is. It's action that's being choreographed, not humans, but it's, yeah, I, I think...
2: And his performance, Ansel Elgort's performance, is uh, so much a physical for sure, performance, too. What a joy. Pure filmmaking. I love it. And uh, I'm looking for the big six and, and uh, the big sick, I should say. And uh, and of course, uh, Logan, I've only se- I've seen twice, both in color, so yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know of your black and white version. Um, <laughs> it's, but it's I, a
1: really good film on on it its is, own. We it talked about doing it for the show, pairing it with Shane, right? Mm-hmm. Which is a, a yeah.
0: Yeah. almost too obvious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I, kind of spells it out for you there. I okay. love
2: that it can be the can, in either form. It would make sense to be in black and white, and just it's so different than what we've been seeing um, from superhero movies and from x-men movies so that that was that's a great thing about it too so so lots of good things to check out and that's it for this week's edition of the next picture show our next episodes come out july 25th and 27th genevieve what do we have lined up
1: A car crash, a mystery, and a dreamy fantasy atmosphere figure prominently in David Lowery's new indie film, A Ghost Story, which premiered at Sundance in January to huge buzz, promptly got picked up for release by A24, and just reached theaters. Those same three things also feature prominently in Herc Harvey's 1962 horror fantasy Carnival of Souls, one of the great cult classic indie success stories. Both films deal with the unreal, unsettling experience of the afterlife, in the way the dead process time and emotion differently from the living. Both films play with simple images. A ghost story finds deep pathos in Casey Affleck wearing a simple sheet with holes cut for the eyes. Basically a cheapy kid's Halloween costume taken to a serious level. And Carnival of Souls pulls a similar pathos from the spectacle of an abandoned carnival. These are films made on a micro-shoestring budget, but they're both spectral, haunting experiences, if you'll pardon the pun. Our next pairing reminds us that filmmakers don't need much of a budget to do horror right. They just need to be able to create a convincing, moody atmosphere. We'll dive into the quiet terrors of the afterlife on the next Next Picture Show podcasts.
2: In the meantime, we'd love to hear your feedback on this week's discussion of Babe and Okja and anything else film related. We want to include your thoughts on future episodes of the show. You can leave a short voicemail at 773-234-9730 or email us at comments at nextpictureshow.net. Finally, before closing out this week's episode, where can we find everyone these days, Keith Phipps?
0: You can find me on Twitter at kphipps3000. You can find me at uprocks.com, where I work as the film and TV editor. At
2: Genevieve.
1: I am the deputy culture editor at vox.com, and you can find me on Twitter at Genevieve Kosky. Scott.
2: Uh, I am on Twitter at at Scott underscore Tobias, and you can find my work in New York Times, Washington Post, NPR, Vulture, Variety. Uproxx, and and one more publication I can now add, Ooh. the Los Angeles Times. Ah. Uh, I did a piece for them about uh, Amanda Cornell, who is the Swedish Sammy director of a film called Sammy Blood that's quite good, and uh, that was my my first oh, there's, there's,
0: there's You have not written the liner notes for any forthcoming films. Oh, though, have oh you? Yeah. that's
2: right. Well, I think we mentioned on the show before, but by the time this drops or close to when it drops, uh, the end of July is when uh, Lost in America is coming out on a criterion so of course that is the biggest feather of all the feathers in my cap uh so i'm excited about that and there may be another criterion down the line Ooh, to, to, watch
1: to, this space watch
2: this space so <laughs> so i'm pretty excited about that association to say the least you can find our absent co-host tasha robinson on twitter at tasha robinson and at the verge where she serves as a movies and tv editor you can stay updated on the next picture show by visiting nextpictureshow.net via Twitter at NextPicturePod, and via Facebook at Facebook.com slash NextPictureShow. And if you haven't subscribed to the show on Apple Podcasts already, please consider it. Apple Podcast subscriptions are an important part of getting podcasts more prominence and more listeners. And while you're there, we appreciate every rating and review. Every thumbs up helps us find new listeners and keeps the show going. Thanks to Colin the Animal Griffith for his assistance producing the show. And thanks to Genevieve Kosagy for providing recording space at her home base, Genevieve Kosky's apartment. The Next Picture Show is proud to be part of the Film Spotting family of podcasts and the Panoply Network. Please tune in next time.